Welcome to season four of The Culture of Kindness. My name is Nahala Summers and I am your host. A culture of kindness is based on the idea that by bringing kindness into leadership, we reduce stress, anxiety, make happier workplaces, and in turn, improve the bottom line for any organization or institution. It is a book, leadership program, accreditation, and of course, this wonderful podcast. Kindness has been my life's work since I founded the social movement for kindness back in 2012 called Sunshine People. And it has kept me interested on what people have to say on the complexities of kindness ever since. The guest lineup is exceptional. From politicians to social media influencers, best-selling authors to BBC presenters, an eclectic mix of people who all have completely different views on kindness, how we get it and where the world is currently at. If you enjoy this episode, then please do show your support for kindness by subscribing to the podcast, leave a five-star review or simply invest in the book, aptly named A Culture of Kindness, available on Amazon. Thanks so much. I hope you enjoy. Welcome. You are so welcome, Claude, on to A Culture of Kindness. I'm a little bit stuttery as I started then, mainly because I don't think there's anybody who is perfectly aligned into everything that A Culture of Kindness is to come on. I think there'll be so many people who are wanting to come on and listen to what you have to say today. Um, Because you and VaynerMedia are starting a conversation that is very different within leadership and, and not completely different, not necessarily new for every organization, but it's certainly a different conversation to the one that we've been hearing. Um, you are the chief heart leader at VaynerMedia, but maybe you could share a little bit about yourself uh, to start off with about things that you enjoy and, and what makes you happy and, and give a little bit of insight into, into who you are. I love that. Well, thank you for having me. It's a, it's a real joy. And obviously, uh, I always love speaking with people that have uh, very similar hearts. So thank you so much. Uh, my name is Claude Silver. I'm a chief heart officer at VaynerMedia. I have been working in this wonderful world of advertising um, and uh, creative agencies for over two decades now. I have no idea how I got involved. I was literally managing a a little boutique grocery store in 1998 in San Francisco when the dot-com boom started. And lo and behold, someone asked me if I wanted to be a digital project manager. I didn't even know what that was. I'm sure I still had a modem. I'm sure I still had a dial-up modem, you know, and probably an AOL email, something like that. Um, And I had plans on being a a psychotherapist. That was my plan. And at that moment, it seemed like a great opportunity to take a risk and to go into this wild, wild west of digital. This is pre-Facebook, pre-Google you know, pre anything that you and I use today. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and off I went and I, and I knew, and I, you know, kept, kept myself very honest that my love has always been, you know, coaching, being a player coach, getting in the mud with people, mm-hmm. team building. That's always been a passion of mine. I'm a cheerleader. Mm-hmm. I really am. Like 
way to go, way to go. And so I knew that I would, that that wasn't going to change. You know, I, my stripes weren't going to change. And so off I went and had a, and have had a really wonderful blessed career in this world of digital. <laughs> uh, I took a, a few left turns. I started a, a surfing and outdoor adventure company in San Francisco and uh, right after 9-11 and then did that for five years and sold that. I love the outdoors. I love the, the watching people break through probably because I know how hard that can be. And I've had my own challenges breaking through. And so I really want to be that person that is, that is cheering them on, you know, Um, that is teaching and cheering and getting involved. And that is really something that brings me so much joy. Mm. I have two little children now. I have an eight month old and a three year old. Uh, So I'm definitely with a three year old. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. right there on the on the um, on the soccer pitch. Uh, yeah, I love it. You your title is chief heart leader. That's correct, isn't it? At Vayner Media, chief heart, uh, chief heart officer. Chief heart officer. Now, what what does that role look like every day? And and what are the outcomes that you kind of constantly striving to deliver when you're in that role and each day you go this is this is what I'm turning up for work for (laughs) yep and I'll answer that question in a very very simple way my only job description when I when Gary and I created this role was and I quote to touch every single human being and infuse the agency with empathy wow and that six years in still is the only job description. And so to answer the question, that's mine every day to figure out how to do that in every conversation. I don't get it right all the time, but I know at the end of my day, when I've, when I've really squeezed the orange as as hard as I possibly can Mm. and given it my all. And, you know, there's some days or some, some zooms that I get chills on my arms because we're, we're cracking something. We're really, I'm with someone as they are identifying a roadblock or seeing, seeing who they could be in the future, or, you know, really coaching someone to uh, let go of limiting beliefs, those types of things. Yeah. yeah, And so, uh, you know, my, my days are uh, are varied with senior level, uh, senior level level meetings, uh, organizational, operational, financial resourcing, but at the end of the day, it's really all about people, connection, um, making sure that everyone is feeling safe. I am eliminating fear and helping other people identify and eliminate fear. Big one. And that we're creating a place where people feel included, that they belong, and that they can come in, they can be warm, they can be friendly, they can learn a lot about themselves, and of course, learn so much about this world of uh, social. Yeah, it's so incredibly powerful. I talk about the safety, people feeling safe within workplaces. It's uh, incredibly important. What are some of the initiatives that have been brought about by this? You know, what what is it that happens with obviously that you're able to share with us? Um, the other leaders and other organisations could say, "Oh, I could put, I could do, I could start doing that. Or we yeah. could put that into place." 
Yeah, I'm going to mention a very big one that is actually pretty easy to implement. Instead of all hands, which we certainly have, all hands company-wide, what we've chosen to do while we're all at home on Zoom is we've started a program called, happens to be called 137 p.m. Mm-hmm. Every day at 137 p.m. East Coast time, we've asked everyone to take 15 minutes off, literally 15 minutes off, get a cup of tea, get breakfast, wherever they are in the, in the world. And we are supplying them with entertainment content, uh, academic content, um, any kind of like uh, uh, diversity, inclusivity, uh, education. And this is all on a closed YouTube channel. So whether or not it's Gary interviewing Will I Am or Novak Djokovic, or I might be interviewing Robin Williams' son, who has a mental health initiative in LA, um, we might have uh, employees come on sharing their side hustles. You know, we've got a couple people that started hot sauce, whatnot. 15 minutes. And the best part about it is the chat that happens in this enclosed uh, YouTube. That has brought us closer together while we're so far apart. Yeah. And it's it's really like almost a competition. Who gets on first? Who's saying hi first? You know, who's making some joke? Who's asking Djokovic the first question? I mean, it's just really, it's fun. Yeah. And anyone can do that. You can do it on Slack. You can, you, you don't need, you don't need any big tech. So the purpose of that was to bring people together and to give them a timeout. We've asked no client meetings, no phone calls, no nothing. Yeah. Really, really just take 15 minutes for yourself. Yeah. Get up, do some jumping jacks, whatever you need to do. So that's a huge, huge one that we've now had going on for almost two years, you know. Yeah. And it's working well. It's working really, really well. Really, really well. And it's fun. And, you know, today I know what we're going to be speaking about, our Super Bowl ads that we just had uh, and how the performance went there. So that's one thing. The other thing on a, on a different level, on a more emotional level, is I hold what's called courageous conversations. Mm. It's an open office hour for anyone that wants to come in. It's in a group. They're, the only guidelines are that, you know, we are not there to criticize or judge people. This is a safe space yeah. to have these sensitive conversations, whether or not that's about race, ethnicity, sexuality. You know, I started this right after um, uh, George Floyd in America at Black Lives Matter. Um, the wonderful thing about this is that it scales. I don't have to be there. In every office, other people can do it. And that's the wonderful thing I think about this role is there are plenty of people that have hearts to help, that have a heart to serve, yeah. just as I do, and want to be part of cultivating this culture. And by all means, please, that's how I scale me. Yeah. We are creating a space where something happens in this space. Yeah. And usually that something is pretty magical. Yeah, yeah. Is there anything that you've tried and it didn't work and then you looked at it and went, this is why we think it didn't work? Mm. Um, I, that's one I have to actually think about. Mm. Um, we've The things I usually try are all based around connection of people. Yeah. And so most of the time that does work. Yeah. I can say the times in which something like that hasn't, 
worked as effectively as I've wanted is most of the time uh, because of the um, the leader that was yeah. uh, rallying the troops was not acting as a facilitator, but more sharing their um, their woes. And sometimes that's difficult for people to hear how their leader is doing when they might put their leader on a pedestal or they might say, well, what are you, you know, what are your problems? You get paid five times more than me or anything like that. So, you know, when I first noticed that was happening, it was around Black Lives Matter and, and COVID because it was a perfect storm. Yeah. And I brought in an incredible diversity inclusivity trainer that trained all 85 senior leaders, including the C-suite to really help us understand what allyship meant, uh, entitlement, what racism, anti-racism, bias, and, you know, microaggressions. It's so easy right now to, to just put your foot in it. Mm. And none of us are perfect, but it was, it's very important that we, we get better than we were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's continuing to learn. And you've coined a phrase, I don't know whether it's from some, I've never heard of it before, so I would say it was yours. Um, but you talk about emotional optimism, uh, yeah. which I just love. I mean, I have blind optimism, as you've, uh, I know, I absolutely love that. I love the logo. I love it, love it, love it. I have to send you, I'll send you a t-shirt after oh, this. Oh, my goodness. I would love it. I'll be wearing it on all my podcasts. Um <laughs> Yeah, share about what emotional optimism is about. And, um, you know, as I was reading a little bit, because I obviously know because I've been reading about it from you, but um, there's definitely a book in here somewhere. There's definitely a whole idea that I just I just love. And I think it's something that organizations could adopt. But but share a little bit more with us. Yeah, I'd love, I'd love to. Uh, for me, it's a pretty big it. it it's pretty basic based on who I am. I'm an eternal optimist. However, I'm very emotional. Mm. I, just like you, just like everyone has, have had my own pitfalls and my own struggles with certain things. Those, and, and I do have my struggles with certain things every day. I get triggered just like Jack and Jill get triggered. Mm. The, the emotional part about it is not to negate the emotion, is to look at what's going, have enough awareness and compassion for self that that conversation really left me shaky. I feel uncertain about my role. I feel uncertain about my relationship. I feel uncertain about my whatever uh, presentation coming up. I have experienced a range of emotions that could easily shake me. Mm -hmm. However, A, emotions are data. I'm not the emotion. So that's the first thing. And to use, to understand and use the knowledge of that emotion, whatever I just learned, to actually help me walk through the door as the optimist, as the uh, having the possibility. So it's almost like putting on a courage cape, using the emotion, using the, the, the emotion, the emotional bravery as strength rather than weakness, which is what we normally do. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm sad. No, I'm not sad. That situation made me sad. Yeah. It's very different. And if I can separate just a little bit, then I can still see the potential of whatever it is I'm going to go do. Mm. So it's, you know, and I think also a big part of it is a huge part of this actually is knowing that you're not alone. 
Yeah. Leaning on other people in those moments of darkness, in those moments of paralysis where I just received terrible feedback and I don't know how to go on. Yeah. You're not alone. And that's a big part of my role. Yeah. Come here. Let's talk. I'm going to be Switzerland. There is no judgment. Yeah. I have an incredible team that is more HR, if you will. Mm. And they're, they're going to be Switzerland too. But yeah. we want to, if anything, like I said earlier, hold that space where a person can dump their emotion, mm. can talk through it, and then like spread their wings and let's, let's go. Yeah. So long way of winded, long way of long way winded saying, um, there's something about, uh, uh, the humility of identifying and experiencing emotion. And then the ambition couple that with ambition of possibility. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. What, um, you know, you talk there about this kind of HR role and this this team that is just different, really. It's different to what we would see in a, in a standard, or dare I say it, you know, in the majority of HR uh, functions within organisations. But is there a piece of advice or a top tip that if there's an HR manager or director listening, and they're absolute, they're, they're desperate to make change um, and they're just struggling to push through anything uh, to make change from a, a pretty standard HR group of uh, uh, delivery. What would that, have you got anything that you would give to them to say, start here? Yeah. The question is one that I'm very fond of because I was not in HR for very many, 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 many years, I was not in HR, but I was still me, meaning I was still that player coach, that mentor, that cheerleader, that person that created safety for people. Mm-hmm. If you don't have a CEO like I do, who's very change who you are, you you want to continue to support and coach. I think your people really make sure that you're coaching your people rather than succumbing to what uh, those in the ivory tower are dictating. Yeah. So, so basically what I'm saying is don't succumb to the fear. Mm. Don't succumb to the authoritative. I'm a leader. So I know what's best for you. Remember that we're all learning here. Every single one of us is learning from one another and every one of us is teaching from one another. So I would say continue to find ways to support your people, to coach your people while taking care of yourself, because we all know in HR, it can be a bit of a suck. Mm. And what we're trying to do right now, I think, is find the next practice. Mm there is no best practice anymore. I don't know what the best practice of being online, taking care of, you know, 1500 people is anymore. Yeah. I'm just trying to see, I'm, I'm taking chances, educated chances, intuitive chances and seeing what works for people. And that's based on what would work for me. What do I need in this moment? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm not, I'm no different. 
I'm no different than, you know, that 23 year old starting out. I just have had this much more life experience and the ability to regulate my emotions a little bit better, probably. Yeah. Uh, what has been the biggest lesson in this role as chief heart officer? You know, I think, is it six years now or is it yeah. longer? So, yes, yeah, six years. And, um, has there been a, a biggest lesson that you've taken away? Uh, many. I mean, <laughs> I have to say the first lesson, and this is by no means by any uh, priority, the ones I'm going to share, is really focusing on the real thing that matters, the 1% of things that matter. And that is the safety of people. That is making people feel like they are included, they are heard, and they matter. That's the first thing. Not the other noise, because it's very easy to get involved in the noise and the details and the this and that, rather than just say, wow, Johnny was crying in the elevator just now. Like, what happened? Let's go take care of why Johnny is crying in the elevator right now. Yeah. That's the 1%. That's, that's what I need to focus on. The other thing I would say is patience, which is going to be a, you know, a, a lesson that I, I will be learning over and over and that people learn things in their own time. Yeah. And I am, I can look in the mirror and tell you that too, that I look back at, at the, you know, the 23 year old me and say, God, God, Claude, why didn't you get that lesson a lot earlier? Well, I just, I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready for it. You know, at 52 now I'm ready for it maybe. So I think that's the other thing. And then really understanding, I would say, the relationship between connection, belonging, really creating teams that want to stick together and be together and how that leads to longevity mm. and speed. Because if you have teams that are comfortable with each other, that know one another in and out, that can be in the trenches, They'll stay together longer and they'll, they'll, ha they'll develop a shorthand with one another. Mm -hmm. So the lesson there is making sure that I'm, I and other people are putting, putting our people in places of strength, in places where they will succeed. Yeah. Not, you just never want me looking at a P&L sheet, right? Because that's just not my strength. You want me with people. And, and, and thus I'm a happier person and I will stay here. You know, I've been at this company eight years almost. That's, my longest relationship. <laughs> That's, you know, I talk about this in my own work is really being able to have honest and open conversations with people to say, are you even enjoying this work? And for them to feel safe enough to go, no, actually, you know, I've, I've kind of changed. Something's happened in my life and, and I don't know, I, I want to be more creative. You know, I'm in finance. I'm not being creative. And then going, well, we haven't got another position for you, but you know what? We're going to stand by you and help you get to where you want to be and let's work through that. And I think what you're saying really is, is yourselves at Brainer Media are doing that, but it's a it's an unusual circumstance for organizations. You know, I, what I see and what I hear from people is people going into work and going, Oh, where's Dave? Oh, Dave's gone he's not here anymore and that's immediately this uh, you know this you know when we talk about safety that only happens once and nobody ever feels safe 
like that's it it's gone you've lost all trust you know and we know that trust is the biggest killer uh within organizations so yeah I I what I have loved about kind of watching from the sidelines um of VaynerMedia and the kind of list picking up on bits and pieces is when I work with organizations and we're talking about kindness there'll be people in that organization that still believe that kindness in the culture is about bringing in some donuts and you know doing bringing in a in a safe area and um but yourselves you you are really kind of talking about what kindness really is what does that look like for you guys on the ground what does it look like in reality this kind of culture of kindness and and developing it yeah I love I love what you're talking about um donuts would be wonderful but we're not really doing that I'm I'm never complaining if someone's bringing in donuts don't get me wrong but it's not donuts yeah a bottle of rosé at the end of the day that's not what we're doing today but um so I'm going to start with this in every single job description, it will say something to the effect of learning how to be the bigger person in every situation, teaching others to be the bigger person in every situation. It will always say things like that as you graduate up in the job, in the, in levels, in our orientation, we have three days of orientation. Every single person goes through it, whether or not you're in a C-suite or you're a junior copywriter, you're all together right now on Zoom. Mm-hmm. Um, and you and I will spend an hour and a half with everyone walking them through why we are the way we are, what you need to do here to succeed. What is the surefire way you won't succeed here? Mm-hmm. You know, we do have a no a-hole policy. Mm-hmm. We breathe kindness. That is the point. You know, we talk a lot about empathy. Empathy is fantastic, right? Empathy, what's em- empathy to you might be a little bit different to me. Holding the door open, how can I help you? And so we have a lot of, a lot of these types of lessons, I would say. We go through manager training. I mean, I would say probably a third of the manager training is all about kindness and how to treat people and how to give feedback in a kind yet honest way. We call it kind candor is actually what we call our feedback. So I have to say almost at every touch point, you're going to, I, I, I hope, feel kindness, but also want to exude kindness. Yesterday, I was talking to different people throughout my day, new joiners. They had all been here six to nine months and each and every one of them said, you know, I really thought the honeymoon would end, but it didn't. People are really nice here. Yeah. And I, you know, I say they are. And, and also like Claude, me at this age, I don't want to work anywhere that is not kind. No. I really don't. No. It's not, it's not, it's not for me. And I really can't believe it's for many people right now. No, no. I mean, that's a, that's a great move on to something that's really going on right now with, I mean, certainly in the UK, I, I don't know what it's like there in America, but we've got a high movement of people. People are moving jobs and, and it was interesting. I, I posted about this on LinkedIn last week. I, I was talking to somebody at a networking event and uh, they said, oh, 
we just can't keep our people. Uh, we can't offer them enough money to stay. And I said, well, I think, you know, you once you've got culture, once you've got that culture right, you, you know, that kind of takes care of itself. And he just looked at me very blankly as though there was just, just didn't, wasn't, just wasn't the what it just wasn't in his register of it. Um, and I think, you know, you highlight it there that people don't want to tolerate it. They would rather go and work for less money somewhere and work for a great organization. Yeah. So we, we too have seen, you know, the quote unquote, the great resignation. I think it's, you know, I think it's very true. I think some of it is media hype. You know, the media always likes to scare us into something. And I think we will see the great return or, or whatever you want to call it. I, I absolutely do. Um, once the corporations know what they're doing and we don't yet, we still don't. It's poor management, poor leadership. And also right now, there happens to be a dearth of opportunity to work wherever you want doing what you love. And so for a lot of people, rather than working in New York which is, or London, which is, you know, two of the most expensive cities in the world mm-hmm. right there, someone could go work in Ibiza and someone could go work in, in, in Park City, Utah, ski all day and do their work and live for a lot less. Yeah. So that is where our cultures are. Um, I'm not surprised that we got here because... If you think about it, we've we've pushed we societies have pushed humans to the brink, to the brink of no one knows how to find balance. Mm -hmm. It's all work life balance. It's not. It's backwards. Yeah, it's life. Work is a part of life. We just and you know what? This younger generation got it. Yeah, we didn't get it. No. We're sitting here saying, oh, wow, it's wonderful to be at home because I can go get a cup of tea and go see my kids really quickly. You and I never had the luxury of working anywhere we wanted. Mm-hmm. We had to be there and show up. And these, this younger generation that's changing the world is changing the workplace. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I feel when I think about our generations coming up and I talked about this I've been talking about this all week actually is is this we will be more we have become more enlightened of this kind of middle generation than our parents you know my parents are coming into their 80s so of that generation become more enlightened than that you know this need to not necessarily conform to this way and just follow what everybody else is doing but be desperately unhappy and and then we've got this newer generation coming in that are going to be even more enlightened, have more emotional resilience, have more emotional awareness, understanding of mental health, consideration to the diversity in the world and how how will it impact this person? And, you know, just thinking in a completely new way. And as you talk about it there, I'm, I'm hopeful, optimistic. Yeah you know, um, as you would say, uh, about what that future is, really. Um, Do you find that you are employing younger um, generations or is there quite a variety in vein media? 
There is a there is a variety. How I mean, we have five generations for sure working. Yeah. Um, however, we uh, as COVID began, we opened up and created two brand new roles. Where and 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 I had I re- have removed the need for a college education a long time ago. Mm-hmm. So we have 18, 19 year olds in these roles, which are and, and they're you know TikTok is very native to them. It's not native to myself. Mm-hmm. So they're coming in. They're creators. Um, and then we have another role called post-creative strategists. And these are all people that start as residents and then they're on a three-month resident and then they get hired. So I have to consider that Gen Z right there, Gen Z. And then we've got the younger millennials, the older millennials, the Gen Xers like myself, and we have some boomers. And you can tell the difference yeah. no matter where you go. Um, so yes, we have definitely started to employ a lot more across the globe, whether or not it's Singapore, Mexico City, America. Yeah. Um, and that is also a remote job. Yeah. Yeah. That's I not mean, a job. When we do when we do go back to station that they need to uh, live in New York City or live in London. Mm. Certainly in the UK, it might not be the same in America, but we have had a conversation about productivity lowering um, within workplaces and and the kind of output that people deliver ultimately. And there is something to be said around that. Um, How in your experience do you go around changing some of that low productivity? Because I think the answers that people often go to, like cracking the whip more, and <laughs> it's not the answer. Um, but what would you say where you suddenly see things maybe not working and not happening? Because um, although, you know, VaynerMedia is up there with this kind of epiphany of every, everything must go right within VaynerMedia, there must be times when productivity is in question or things aren't quite working. Yeah, so we're by no means is this a utopia, by no means. You know, we, I don't see, and I don't hear about the low productivity as much as I hear about the FOMO, which is different. FOMO meaning I have to be in that meeting. FOMO meaning like, you know, why did that person's thing get picked? Why not mine? So that I see a little bit, I I actually see a lot more of. And so the, the, I have to be in that meeting creates inefficiency because then there's 10 people in a meeting that just missed an hour of actual work. And then they have to make up that hour someplace. What I probably, that's what I probably see more of, which is the need to be everywhere at once and also the need to get there quickly. And that is what I, you know, I think we all know from this, uh, the Gen Z uh, generation and younger millennials, it's, how can I get there? When can I get there? Promoted? When can I want to be a director now? You know, what are you going to, what are you going to do to give me that? How are you going to get me there? You know, because they all have like invisible ink. It just says, help me grow. I have it there too. You can see it, help me grow, but it's a very different kind of ask. You know, it's like, okay, well, you got to, you do have to put in the work. You do have to have patience. And that's the, you know, so we really do try to teach those, teach by doing, not, you know, showing showing telling doing i think there's this wonderful though you know if you imagine this and you imagine that we're 
teaching in school level emotional intelligence and resilience and then when they come into workplaces like you talk about uh there and not all companies will but some companies are going to move to that and i think they'll start to realize quite quickly that they need to and they start to develop these young people who are who desperately want more and so then so by the time they get to this kind of 25 30 they're already going to be going well I've done that so what now and there'll be this kind of change people going into other careers and seeing different things that's a very different life from my father who's now 80 who spent his entire working life up to the age of 60 and of course we we get older now so we have a much longer life my father who was an architect and that was all that was all he did and that he did he was not expected or didn't ever think that he would change a, do a change of career and now we have this prospect of having a changing career setting up our own business going back into work you know there's no boundaries the boundaries are only set by ourselves and i think the work from vayner media from gary from yourself from from people who are kind of in your position are allowing those kind of ideas really um, of there are no boundaries, right? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a very entrepreneurial attitude and, uh, and I, the entrepreneurialism and the possibility that you can be many different things in one lifetime. Mm. You can pivot your job, you can pivot your career. You don't have to be in your fifties to pivot. You can pivot at 27. You can decide that, yes, you went to law school, but you know what? I really want to be a teacher. I mean, I think that's the wonderful thing about this, this age of enlightenment and what we see this younger, the younger generations open to, you know, they're open to, they want things to be different. And they, I think that is a, a huge driving force of it. You know, I wanted job stability. So I stayed in the same type of job for X amount of years until I just said, okay, I'm no longer interested in creating advertising. I want to take care of people in advertising. I want to take care of people. Yeah. You know, so I, I tweaked it. But I think the, you know, when you're not so precious and you give people enormous amounts of runway, mm amazing things happen. Yeah. Right. Amazing yeah. things happen. And, and sure. Every, I think, you know, people, especially in the workplace, yeah, you do need some kind of guardrail. You do need some kind of like, this is my job. Yeah. But then what I want to say to you is, yes, this is your job. Please go paint it the way David wants to paint it, the way Catherine wants to paint it, mm. not the way Claude paints it. Yeah. We're different. How could you possibly? Yeah. Yeah do this job like I do it, or how can I do your job like you do it? We can't. So I want to allow for everyone to use their own palette and color it in mm. while doing the responsibilities that the job has asked for. Yeah. I mean, I, I have seen this in here in the UK, we have, I don't know whether you have them, uh, social enterprises, and we class them under a it's called a CIC, so it's community interest company, the legal term rather than a business. Uh, mm -hmm. We call them CICs. And um, we've seen a massive growth in that, this growth of um, business that is focused around 
positive change in the community. It's focused around environmental impact. It's, it, it has some positive effect on society as a whole. And I'm, and I'm not really surprised that this has grown so much in the last kind of five years. Uh, I don't know. I think you have kind of, it, it's, it's more than just a charity. This isn't a, this isn't a charity. This is about really kind of driving permanent change. And I think that's what you talk about there, really. People going, actually, we want to be part of that conversation. We want to be part of making the change. Yes, I, I couldn't agree more. In fact, today I'm, I'm uh, having a sustainability meeting. I'm invited to the sustainability meeting. I'm so excited to see what this group wants to present and talk about and probably just want to say, yes, go ahead. Yes, we can find funding for that, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. um, and, I, and I'm excited about the idea of communities within the workplace coming together and taking and having ownership. Yeah. You know, it's just like our community resource groups that we have for people that identify as, you know, a black or as Southeast Asian or as LGBTQ plus or women, or men, all that stuff. So the the communities that are created is also something where people find safety. Mm, yeah. And they they find a sense of, oh, my people, these are my people. Yeah. You you talk about uh, I noticed the words uh the empathetic food for thought. Um that you talked about on the website, which I just thought was just such a beautiful term, empathetic food for thought. Mm -hmm. um, what does that look like right now in the world, in its current place? Because we are in a challenging time. You know, we like to think, oh, well, it's all right. It's not as bad as it was in the world wars or, but it's it's been very challenging. What does that empathetic food for thought look like right now? Oh, it just took a very deep breath and thinking about uh, what is going on in, in our different countries um, <laughs> and, uh, and how it's so important not, it is so important to have eyes wide open right now. And if there is a way to have eyes wide open and still get out of bed and still give it your best, then you know, I'll, I will be right there with you. You're winning. I Yes, I will be. Yes, you are winning and, and there will be others like you. And so the empathetic food for thought, when I think about you know, how do we create, how do we create more tenderness in this world? You know, and, and how do we bring that in? I mean, how do we bring that into our workplaces and our cultures is a huge part of it because we spend so much time at work. And again, I say it is life and then work, work is a part of life. Mm -hmm. But you know, for these, for I think for the younger generation, especially they're, they, they have looked to us to see what to do and how to model and how to mirror. Mm -hmm. And I think they're really taking the gift and they're leaving everything else. <laughs> and I, you know, and I don't blame them. We did too, right? Yeah. You know, we did too. And so the, um, the, 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 the food for thought is, you know, how are we thinking about eliminating fear? How are we leaning on our own emotional bravery to be better in the world? Not about being right. Mm. 
Mm. You know, these are things that are really incredibly important, I think. And we don't talk about enough. Even in schools, we're taught to be right. Yeah. You know, but how about the tenderness? How about just being a great person? Yeah. I think about this, about our political and I might have said this on the podcast before, but I'll share it with you. And if I'm sorry for those that have already heard it. But, you know, when I was younger, my when I was a baby and I was in my high chair and I wasn't speaking at the time, I hadn't spoken. And um, my mum used to have the radio on and the politics was in the background. You know, the House of uh, Houses of Parliament was going on and they were debating. And it got to the point that then one day... I started banging on the table and my first words out of my mouth were order, order. And, you know, (laughs) some might say that was a sign of things to come, but. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Great story. (laughs) I mean, I've, I've carried that with the idea that do we we stand in the UK on opposite sides of a room and say, I'm right. And the other person says, no, I'm right. There's nowhere to go with that. There's no evolution and we can't move forwards with it. And it's slow, you know, progress is slow uh, when when we think in that way, right? And that's, that idea of we have to find tenderness, we have to find ways to communicate. I think we have to do that on a on a country level um, for us to really then again see it within our workplaces for them to go, ah, okay, so this is how we deal with conflict. This is how we deal with things because we we're always mirroring, right? We're always looking to people. Um, as examples so I yeah I totally uh, agree with what you're saying is there I mean I've got two more questions but actually I'd have about 20 million more actually Um, but um, you know is there some things that you have really been thinking about that we haven't already talked about that is about kind of culture and workplace and where the world is at right now is there is there a particular conversation that's not necessarily keeping you up at night, but that you are talking about with others, you're talking about with family? Um, I, I love the question because if you're going back to the fact that I have a three-year-old who is mirroring all the time and finding her own independence. And, and you know, I'm, I'm watching her develop right this minute. It's so incredible. The one thing I talk to her about all the time is being a kind person, being a kind person, being a brave person, being a strong person, you know, those types of things way before, oh, you're so cute or beautiful, anything like that. Went to her um, teacher, parent teacher conference morning. And the first thing the teacher said is she's so kind. And I thought, oh my goodness. That is incredible. If we're teaching our children right now who are three and four and five to be kind, then then we have a great chance. Yeah. We have a really great chance. And if they can, if we can uh, 
carry that on and not let them be discouraged by what they see in the world, what they hear, order, order, order. <laughs> you know? and, and, you know, there's the other thing that, you know, we ta- I talked about this a little bit a while ago is this patience is so important mm-hmm. and um, allowing nature to take its course and to not speed things up, but yet have enough energy and, uh, I would say hope and faith and belief and, uh, uh, possibility and positivity that change will come change. If we can look back in all of the history books and change has happened, Mm. it just takes, it takes a while, but you said this word that I just think is magnificent when it comes to this younger generation, you said the word enlightened Mm. and they are. And I want to focus on that. I want to focus on these these youngsters, these kids, these teenagers, uh, um, staying that course and being the teachers. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I always end the podcast on the same question, and I don't, and I I don't ever get the same answer, which is amazing, really, considering it's the same question I've been asking it for three years every week. Um, what does a culture of kindness mean to you? Mm. A culture of kindness means emotional courage, mm. vulnerability, tenderness, and walking across the bridge to join hands with other people. Thank you so much. What an incredible way to end this episode. What an absolute privilege. I know people will have taken so much away. And uh, yes, a culture of kindness is where you're leading. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate you. Thank you so much for listening. If you have loved this episode, please do share it with others. Pop on and give a lovely review, but mostly take forwards into your life something that can change someone else's. We are looking for the elusive happiness and kindness is the action that can get us there.